I've got sunshine on a cloudy day. When it's cold outside, I've got the month of May. Hello, Radio Land. It's a summer night, and I'm thinking back to mini donuts in Penticton. Maybe where you are, it's a summer afternoon, which is fine. That should work, too. Whenever it is where you are, you are listening to episode two of Soul Food, the ghost light season, summer edition. I guess you say what can make me feel this way, my girl, my girl, my girl, talking about my girl, my girl, I've got so much honey, the bees envy me, I've got a sweeter song than the birds in the trees. Well, I guess you say What can make me feel this way? My girl, my girl, my girl Talking about my girl, my girl That was a rare recording of just the vocal track on The Temptations' My Girl which has the same ozone-intoxicated feeling as the air just after a summer thunder shower. Or so says Dave Marsh in his book, The Heart of Rock and Soul. Back in summer 2015, the New Yorker ran a profile of Hugo Cancio, a member of what they called the new transnational elite. A Miami entrepreneur hustling hard to open up Cuba's economy to international markets. Now, that's not really my kind of article, but I am fascinated by Latin America, and they definitely grabbed my attention with this. Cancio was born in 1964, five years after Fidel Castro seized power into a family of entertainers. His father, Miguel Cancio, founded the popular 60s band Los Zafiros. Los Zafiros were inspired by the harmonious doo-wop of the platters, but also incorporated influences from Cuban music and bossa nova. The band's hit, I Have Come, was revived in Breaking Bad, playing winsomely as Walter White's RV come meth lab is destroyed by a bulldozer. <laughs> Guess I need to watch Breaking Bad. With his parents off and away on tour, Cancio was looked after by his grandmother, And though he showed talent as a percussionist, he was dismayed by his family's bohemianism. He recalls waking up before school to find the living room full of drunk musicians and coming home in the afternoon to find some of them still there sleeping. I decided then and there I didn't want to be a musician, he said. Okay, there's something to that. But the harmonious doo-wop of the platters mixed with Cuban music and bossa nova? That I had to hear. I stopped reading and started searching. And here's what I found.
la noche y tú la noche y tú vive la luna enamorada y al contemplarle su mirada me hace Revelación que me estacia, raro esplendor de fantasía que vive en ti. Prisionada por la noche y por mi amor, locura Now that's haunting and mysterious enough on its own. But it, how did music like that even exist? American-tinged pop music in Castro's Cuba? Revolution in 1959. Bay of Pigs invasion, 1961. 62, Cuba is suspended from the Organization of American States, and Los Zafiros is formed. October 62, Cuban Missile Crisis. 1963, guitarist and arranger Manuel Galban joins the group, and Cuba sends troops and tanks to support the communist regime in Algeria. 1964, Cuba organizes Latin American communists to foment civil war in the Dominican Republic. 1965, Los Zafiros tours the world, the Eastern Bloc, with concerts in Moscow, Warsaw, and East Berlin. But I thought Castro shut down the music industry in Cuba. That American influences, doo-wop, surf guitar, were completely repressed. What about all those Cuban musicians in Ry Cooter's Buena Vista Social Club sessions who'd been kept from making their music for decades? And then, listening for the I don't know how manyth time to the half-dozen tunes on my Los Zafiros playlist, One strangely familiar tune suddenly clicked into place.
from the album Mambo Sinuendo. That's Ry Cooter and, yes, Manuel Galban with La Luna and Mirada, a tune Galban had recorded with Los Zafiros almost 40 years before. Ry Cooter. Los Zafiros was not typically Cuban. It, w- it wasn't typically anything. They were just a bunch of bad boys from the Cayo Hueso neighborhood. Lowriders, we would have called them. Vatos Locos. And rough characters. So they sing in this kind of lowrider of the times style, which is an American East Coast R&B mixed with Cuban. Oh, it's incredible. You would want something like this to exist. There was a documentary floating around with uh, one remaining musician before he died telling about the old times. And in this documentary, there's a black and white footage of a guitar player doing this twangy stuff. And I thought, my God, that's Dwayne Eddy, the Dwayne Eddy of Cuba. Well, Nick Gold, a music executive involved with our project, was there on some trip and and he, he just asked, whatever happened to Manuel Galban, the guitar player? He was told, oh, he lives over there, down that street. So Nick goes down, and he's sitting there. He, he's sitting there. Manuel Galban sitting there playing the guitar. He, he didn't have an amp anymore. His guitar was a Fender Telecaster. He was a, he was a little bit nervous and uncertain. He, he didn't know if he could still do it. So we brought him in because we thought he could do a couple of those Zafiros tunes. Uh, La Ultimacita and the other one, Herido de Sombras which is an incredible, beautiful song. Ry Cooter's words about finding and working with the Los Zafiros guitar player Manuel Galban. Cooter's collaboration with the Buena Vista Social Club on the tune Herido de Sombras led off last week's show, Manuel Galban on guitar. Tonight's tune comes from their later collaboration, two great guitarists, on the album Mambo Sinuendo from 2003. I think you want to get yourself some Buena Vista Social Club for your summer listening. And Mambo Sinuendo. And definitely Los Zafiros. You'll thank me. Thank you. 
behind those fireworks at the end. <laughs> a few years ago at a Reed family reunion, my uh, cousin's son got up to play some songs. A lot of people made music at that reunion. And he started in on that tune. And I whipped up to the keyboard and turned it on to Hammond B3 and did a little organ playing along with it, which was a lot of fun. And, uh, then at the end, there was me blowing into the microphone and making little noises. Nobody knew what the heck I was doing, but they expect such behavior from one of their more eccentric family members. However, my nephew knew what I was doing. It was a nice little moment. My friend Diane Tucker had a book come out this summer, just a couple of weeks ago. And quite a handsome book it is. Nostalgia for Moving Parts. It's a new poetry collection. Diane was kind of our de facto poet-in-residence on the first season of Soul Food, with some of her O antiphons. This new book opens with a set of poems about childhood. And one sequence in particular brought me to tears. They're sketches of people from Diane's early life, precise and unflinching and filled with compassion. And one of them even has a little something to do with summertime. Love the sad men. The small, huge things that sad men do. Sad men who build with everything but words. Build dollhouses, train sets, H.O. mountains from cereal boxes and plaster of Paris, 
building the mountains they can for their sons. For daughters, they build scroll-sawed shelves to hold phalanxes of dolls, blown glass animals, Barbie barns above the bed's blue lace. Sad fathers who've eluded words carve magic circles in their back lawns for swimming pools. They sieve stones out of the soil circles so nothing will nick the pool's thin blue skins. This is the testament of sad men who live starved of words. Drywall, carport, pickled jars of nails, lawnmower, farmer's tan, house paint, apple tree, soldering gun, handsaw, wood plane, wood shavings falling from the vise, wooden curls on the cold garage floor, wooden curls warm on little girls' ears. Sad fathers carve magic circles in their back lawns for swimming pools. They sieve stones out of the soil circles so nothing will nick the pool's thin blue skin. This is Poolside with Neil Young's Harvest Moon.
I know it's not time for a harvest moon anytime soon. But you know, when I hear Neil Young, I hear summer. That's by the aptly monikered Poolside, an American new disco and chill wave band from Los Angeles, California, formed in 2011 by Jeffrey Paradise. How's that for a fine last name? And I do love me a good cover. Sometimes I like the cover even better than the original. Here's reggae legend Jackie Mitu with Summer Breeze. Stars in the sunlight Moving on on a brand new sudden flight Then it comes to the girl and the penny Makes me know everything's gonna be alright A summer breeze Makes me feel fine Going through the memories of my life Summer breeze makes me feel fine Going through the memories of my Sunlight moving on on a brand new sudden flight, and then it comes to the girl and the penny, makes me know everything's gonna be alright. Summer breeze makes me feel fine. Going through the memories of my mind Summer breeze makes me feel fine Going through the memories of my mind
Jackie Mitu from his album The Keyboard King at Studio One. Also great on that record are Juice Box, Black Organ, Wall Street. Mitu formed the Scatolites at age 15, working out of the famed Studio One in Kingston, the Motown of Jamaica. He was one of the instigators of ska, rocksteady, and of course reggae working with artists like Alton Ellis, Ken Booth, The Heptones, Marsha Griffiths. Okay, let's listen to some Marsha Griffiths. I said it before and I'll say it again. Reggae is the music of summer. And since we're doing covers...
Marsha Griffiths with a Beatles cover. You know, that it might be, depending on the day, my favorite Beatles song. And I will also say I'm not sure I prefer their version to hers. She started her career in 1964, performing with Byron Lee and the Dragon Airs, duets with a lot of reggae artists, including a guy you might have heard of, Bob Marley. And in the uh, late 70s and early 80s, she was a member of the I-3s, uh, backup singers for Bob Marley and the Wailers. A couple years ago, is it only two years ago? Seems like another lifetime. I was working on Jesus Freak at Pacific Theater, and on a break from rehearsals, I wandered the neighborhood until I ended up at the library where a book called Vancouver Confidential caught my eye. Saith the cover, Most civic histories celebrate progress, industry, order, and vision. This isn't one of those. We honor the chorus line behind the star performer, the mug in the mugshot, the victim in the murder, the teens in the gang, and the slum in the path of the bulldozer. By far my favorite of the lurid pulp non-fiction tales was Aaron Chapman's account of the so-called milkshake murder, featuring the Bomax sign only a few blocks from our theater on Broadway. The sign, that is. The sign is on Broadway. The theater's off-Broadway. Anyhow, in the green room I read this bizarre tale to my fellow cast members, Kath, Brandon, Caitlin and they frankly didn't believe it. So I did some of my own research to check, and yep, it's for real, baby. I tracked down the author, Aaron Chapman, to see if I could post the story on my blog. He did me one better. Sent me a recording he'd done with a deliciously seedy-sounding jazz combo, and at last the truth can be heard as well as told. Listen up. Here's arsenic and old signs. Vancouver Broadway, nineteen sixty five. Summer heat slittered and crept, and the asphalt was breaking a fever of 102. Coupe de Villes and Buicks are swimming up and down the dark street at night, floating like manta rays under the warm amber of a traffic light. There's a playbill down at the cave for Mitzi Gaynor coming soon. Man, that gal has legs from here to who hid the broom. Out on Kingsway, a street cleaner's mopping up the street, while inside the NB Steakhouse, Somebody's mopping up the gravy from their plate with a slice of Wonder Bread so white you could clean a piano with it. Others are at home falling asleep, bathed in the warm light of their Indian Chief TV test pattern, asleep in the glow of their Curtis Mathis or Zenith Electra homes. Broadway's lit too. Broadway's bathed in red and blue. Ruby and sapphire neon tubes glowing ten stories high from the Bomax sign. Blowing, buzzing, and flickering at a 60-cycle hum. Standing tall at the front of the Bomac car lot every night. Pouring neon light down the street and reflecting off all the chrome of the lot. 
And maybe the old neon sign sizzled just a little more in that 1965 summer. Castellani was his name, Rene Castellani. A radio man from CKNW who got on top of the sign and vowed to stay on top until all the cars had been sold for the lot. <laughs> Folks, I'm going to stay up here until Bomax sells every car it's got. So get down here and get me off this sign. Come down and see a new Fleetwood Eldorado hardtop. Four white feet, music and heat, wheel skirts and opera lights. With a comfort tilt steering wheel with a walnut trim. And a V8 engine that purrs like a hen. You can drive one off the lot today. Come down to Bomac on Broadway. And you could drive down Broadway and see Castellani that summer. Making friends with the seagulls. Tune in AM 98 and listen to old Renee with traffic and news on the hour. And all the while, the old neon sign would stare down the street and every car there. Each two tons of iron made back when Detroit used to care. And not even the two-piece suit car salesmen in the lot with their Ingledews that shine like mirrors knew that in the dark of the night, Castellani would climb down from the top and sneak away for an hour or two. Nobody except the boys back at the radio station he'd innocently phoned to ask if they'd fill in and play a record at the top of the hour and cover his ass. When he'd sneak away, he'd drive home and he'd find his plump wife Esther with her hair in rollers, chain-smoking Winstons, eating bonbons in bed. Where you been? But on other nights, his friends noticed the company car outside the house of Miss Miller, the station's strawberry blonde switchboard operator. And as he sat there day and night on top of the Bomax sign in between playing commercials for Honest Nat's department store, Woodward's $1.49 day, as he daydreamed out in the horizon, maybe it's easy to imagine the choice in his mind. The suburbs, his wife, the leftovers, and the marriage he knew the honeymoon was over. Or over in Miss Miller's around nine, with a smile on her face and a bottle of wine. So he started to sneak down from the sign each night and bring home to Esther a milkshake, her favorite treat. But she never bothered to ask why her Renee was being so sweet. And slowly Esther started to get sick, but never suspected her doting husband of any trick. And the lonely late-night coffee patrons of the night-and-day diner would never notice him, and they would never notice his halfway grin, reflecting off the arborite counter as he came in to get another milkshake to go. And Esther got sick. Esther got worse and worse. Until one day they called in a hearse. And that night Esther died, one of the boys from the radio station came by to make sure Renee was okay. But Renee wasn't in tears. No, he had his feet up on the couch having a beer. For the Stouffer's TV turkey dinner. Laughing at some comic on the Ed Sullivan show. Now Esther might have died without another word. Some said Renee didn't seem to grieve. And others just said he never wore his heart on his sleeve. And the neighbors began to talk over fences and coffee shops. And the coroner's hunches went to suspicions and suspicions to the questions. Like why two days after Esther was in the ground, he'd taken off with Miss Miller to Las Vegas on vacation. And when the police found the half-empty bottle of weed killer arsenic under Castellani's sink, when everybody knew Renee was never a gardener, never gave a damn about weeds. Renee must have felt doom when the coroner opened Esther's tomb. 
And when arsenic in the body was tested, he was arrested for murder. The newspaper splashed his name and called him the milkshake murderer. Rene in a black suit with his head held high in the stand said through it all he was an innocent man. When the judgment came down, they found him guilty and hit him with a life sentence. He did his time and rarely talked to the crime, and no one came to visit him in jail. The station scraped his name off his office door. Soon no one cared anymore, and even Miss Miller married someone else and turned tail. As he sat out his years in that cell, maybe Rene Castellani thought until he died in 82. Then maybe crime doesn't pay as good as it used to. Now if you go uptown to Broadway today, now the car lot is gone. There are no more Buicks and Coupe de Villes driving by. There are no more radio waves pulsing from there. Now a big kid store has moved in, and the only cars they're selling are toys. The Bomax sign is half covered up, but it still stands tall there. Right where Rene Castellani stayed in that summer in 1965. A freestanding charge memory with not a volt running through it. But where Rene dreamt of Miss Miller. Dreamt of a plan. Where it all began. Fueled by blood red and sapphire blue neon. Buzzing into a Vancouver night. or not and maybe the old neon sign sizzled just a little more in that 1965 summer you can get your own copy of Vancouver Confidential from Anvil Press but you'll have a hard time getting a copy of that recording any place but here Aaron recorded it for an EP that mostly got sold in the states but here at Soul Food Ghost Light we have our ways. I should also mention that Diane Tucker's Nostalgia for Moving Parts is published by Turnstone Press. You can order a copy from their website. Can and should. Support your local wordsmiths.
little jazz for the shank of the night from the soundtrack of Alexander McKendrick's 1957 noir masterpiece, Sweet Smell of Success, the Chico Hamilton Quartet, the sonic equivalent of a well-mixed Manhattan, according to John L. Waters of The Guardian. Ask me about Sandy McKendrick sometime and the one degree of separation to this tune, Haunted Heart, as rendered by Charlie Hayden and his Quartet West. It closes with a 78 from Hayden's own collection, a 1947 recording by the incomparable Joe Stafford, who we mentioned on last week's show. Good night.
there's a ghost of you within my hearted heart ghost of you It's you who must belong to me. 